yes, it's going to hurt to maybe drain your savings by $2,000 to get through this emergency, but it will hurt less than having a payment of three, four, five hundred dollars $500 a month for the right. next five to six years. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so that you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We're your hosts, David Thompson and Leo Sabo. And in this episode of Getting Money Right, we're going to be answering some financial questions. <laughs> so from time to time, Leo and I get interesting questions from our friends and from people who reach out online from the podcast. And we like to answer those on the show whenever possible. Yeah, because it brings that knowledge not only to the people that ask the questions, but to anyone else. And we all learned by listening to answers that are provided. And sometimes, many times, the questions that we ask may not be specific to your situation, but what we talk about and how it applies to different areas and different questions is actually quite similar. So we all gain wisdom by having the ability to listen to questions that are answered. It really gives us a, a more robust understanding of finances. The first question today is, I blew my car engine. <laughs> uh, what is the least expensive way to get back on the road when your car engine blows? <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty big problem, right? I mean, this may be your primary source of making money, right? You need a car these days. Most of us don't live somewhere where we can take public transportation. And transportation is a basic need. So if that transportation is taken away... I know for most people that have run across this that I've coached, they feel a sense of urgency, like I got to fix this issue within the next day or two. And I'm actually grateful that today it's, that's not as true as it used to be because we do have Uber and Lyft and we can get through even if it means that it costs us maybe 50 to 100 to $200 over the next two, three weeks a month mm -hmm. until we can find the other, you know, fix the car or find a way to, to get through this. But the first thing that I want to say is just know that there's more than one option. Most of the time when your car breaks, you just automatically, oh, I guess I'll have to get another car. And yeah, that kind of seems practical to think that way. But pause for a moment. Don't make a hasty decision. Is that car really, I know the engine's blown. That sounds like a big deal. And most of the time it is. But is that it? Is that car in the you know heap now is it a junkyard car or it can be salvaged so the first thing to do is just hit pause say are there other options so take your time seek wisdom right ask someone who knows about cars what your options are and you'll be surprised to find out that there is more than one option yeah i was at the auto mechanic shop the other day and i saw a really big truck lifted up on the dollies lifted up on uh, this mechanical lift and it was huge and it had been ripped basically in half from the hood open it was it was like there were parts everywhere spread all across the place and this was a friend of mine who owned this mechanic shop and I said hey what's the deal with this one and he said hey this this engine blew and we had to completely rebuild it from scratch we had to maybe they had to get a new engine and put it in mm -hmm. so it was a very expensive repair but it was actually cheaper for them mm -hmm. to completely dismantle the, the engine compartment, to completely pull apart the engine, to take it out. It was cheaper for them to do that than to go buy a new vehicle. It actually made more sense to replace the engine in this truck because it would get another 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 miles out of it. Because mm -hmm. once the engine is replaced and you've gone and taken the time to pull it apart and then put it back together, 
yeah. it's going to last. And so it, it it's one of those things where, well, maybe I should just go spend $20,000 on a new vehicle or 30000 or 40000 Well, for 5000 yeah, I don't know what the price on this was going to be, but three, four, five grand, you can probably get that engine replaced. So just, I like what you said, Leo. There are options. Now, $5,000 isn't a cheap option, so let's no. dig into this a little bit. But but what does that look like? I think the first thing to do is ask the question, how much is your car worth? Because if you're going to replace the engine or potentially have it rebuilt, that's going to cost some money. So how much money is it going to cost? It's going to depend on whether you want to put that money into it, and that's really based on the price of the vehicle. If the vehicle isn't worth 2000 and it's going to cost 2500 to fix it, well, there's your answer. It's right. not worth putting 2000 2500 into a vehicle that is literally not going to increase in price or potentially not even be as reliable as just spending 4000 on another vehicle. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. How much is your car worth? And then second, how much will it cost to repair the engine, right? If your engine blew, it's not the end of the world, right? When a car was made, they put an engine in it. <laughs> that can happen <laughs> yep. again, folks. Believe me, I've done it a couple of times, and it's possible to replace the engine on a vehicle. It sounds like a big deal, but nobody's asking you to do it. You just find somebody who's qualified and able to do it. And as long as the price is not more than what it would cost you to replace the vehicle, it's an option. I don't know if it's the option, but it is an option. If it's too much to repair, can it be replaced? Can the engine actually be just pulled out the old one, throw it away, put a new one in, or a used one? Because many times cars get wrecked and the engines aren't damaged in the accidents. So they end up in the junkyard. And a mechanic can then come pull that engine out of that car. And sometimes, many times, the actual salvage yard will pull it out and just put it on a shelf and wait for somebody who needs it. So call a few junkyards, find one, or the mechanic will do that, and that's an option. So as you look at this, it's always a financial thing, right? I mean, you have to do the math. We always say that, do the math. But how much does it cost? How much is your car worth? Is this something you should do? And if it's between 1500 and 2000 which is a typical price for rebuilding an engine, unless it's a really big truck or something like that, is that cheaper than replacing the car? Yes, it absolutely absolutely is. And yes, it's going to hurt to maybe drain your savings by $2,000 to get through this emergency, but it will hurt less than having a payment of three, four, $500 a month for the next five to six years, which will totally devastate your budget. So you have to look at this and realize that there are options. You just have to take your time and look and see which one makes the best financial sense. And when something like this happens with your vehicle, let's say your vehicle is down for a few days. One, sometimes your insurance will provide a rental vehicle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two, like Leo said, sometimes Lyft and Uber will get you to and from where you need to be. Right now, a lot of people can work remotely or work from home. And so you might not need to drive as much. And so you could get along with Uber or Lyft, or you could just go rent a vehicle for a couple hundred bucks for a month from one of the rental car companies mm-hmm. in that interim while it's being repaired. And it could be a week, it could be longer, it could be shorter, but um, there are options there. And if you have a good support network, reach out on Facebook to your friends or Instagram, or just call some friends and see if anybody has a loaner vehicle that they can let you borrow for free. Oh, yeah. That's a great option. Uh, I Almost every time I've heard of this happening, a friend has then been able to find someone that would let them borrow a vehicle for a week or for two weeks while their car was down and it needed to get repaired. So don't be afraid to ask. Sometimes it can be a little bit embarrassing or difficult, but honestly, car repairs happen to everyone. So it's really not embarrassing. It just feels that way on the surface. But if you dig in and you ask for some help, a lot of times you'll find a friend who maybe is a mechanic 
Leo has helped me on multiple occasions with things with my car. Um, or you can find somebody that might be willing to lend you a vehicle. Yeah. And there is one other option there. Let's say, for instance, that the repair is too expensive. You don't really have the ability to buy a new car. Uh, that would not be good for your budget. So there is one other option. And that option would be find, I'm going to say it, a beater yes. <laughs> that you can drive for a couple of years. The first car that my daughter Courtney bought when she was 17 years old, because if you guys remember, well, I shared this in a previous episode, but we had agreed, my wife and I had agreed that we would match whatever they saved for their first car up to $3,500. Well, Courtney was a bit slow in getting a job and, and saving. So she only was able to save $950. So I said, great, you can afford an $1,800 car. Mm -hmm. So start looking for an $1,800 car. And so she made it her job for about two months to get on Craigslist every day, two, three times a day until she found one at a mechanic shop. And it was one of these vehicles that a lady had had since it was brand new. She was repairing it, taking care of it, but it had finally had too many expenses. So she actually sold it to the mechanic and the mechanic put some money into it. Of course, he oh, put yeah. his own labor into it, put a few hundred dollars into it and turned around and sold it for just a few hundred dollars profit. So we got it for $1,850. Now, it was not a great car. It had all kinds of problems, but I was able to maintain it fairly cheaply. It wasn't. It didn't cost too much, and Courtney provided the parts. I provided the labor, and for the first two years, she drove that car. And I finally got to the point where I'm like, listen, you, you, need, to, you need to start saving and buy another car because I'm not going to be in the garage every weekend fixing this thing. But my point is this. Sometimes you have to take the best in the least expensive option so that you can financially move forward in a positive way. Taking on a big payment is not a good way to do it. Spending money that you know is not gonna come back to you and it's actually gonna cost you more, it's not a good idea. So you just have to look at the options and say, all right, which one is the best one? And it may not be great uh, for you. You may have to, like I said, drive a beater for a couple of years. Maybe it doesn't have AC, maybe it doesn't have heating, whatever. But it's better than walking and it's better than begging. So. Sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. Make the best decision to salvage your situation and make the best financial move so that you can move forward financially. This is a great chance to go back and look at why it's so important to spend on purpose and to save before you spend. And I'm referring back to our four steps for purposeful living. And if you spend on purpose, you actually set it aside in your budget every mm -hmm. month you're very intentional. You don't overspend in other areas and then forget to save for car replacement and car repair. If you've started to place the savings into your budget, then even when expensive costs come, you'll be ready for it. Right. You'll be ready to hit the road again. Uh, it, it won't feel emotionally painful and it won't feel financially painful. You won't like to see your savings go away, but that's why it's there. Right. And so you'll say, oh, $2,000 for an engine replacement? Is there anything else I can do? Is there any you know any cheaper way to do this? But if there's not, you just take the cash out of savings and you put it in. So this is why we spend so much time focusing on the right kind of budget, the right kind of system, and having that plan in place. Yeah, it's to prepare you for these kind of situations when they come. And they will come. Unfortunately, that's just part of living is that not everything can be planned for. So let's look at question number two. My brother and sister-in-law are asking my wife and I to co-sign for a car loan, what should we do? And let me say, this isn't my brother and sister-in-law or <laughs> your brother and sister-in-law. This was a question that came in. But let's say that you're any sibling, any any close family member. Um, but in this situation, brother and sister-in-law are asking you to co-sign for a car loan. What do you do, Leo? Well, this one's very short. 
don't sign. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Next. <laughs> but actually, that is the answer. Don't sign. Uh, the reality is that 50% of people who co-sign a loan for someone else, even a family member, end up paying for the loan themselves. So that's a, that's a pretty significant risk you're taking when you're co-signing. Here's the reality. The bank knows more about your brother and your sister-in-law and their financial situation than you do. And they're making their decision based on the factors they have, their credit report, credit history, all of that. So if they're denying them this loan because they supposedly don't qualify, there's something, and it's not that they've done anything wrong, maybe. Maybe they just don't have enough credit. They haven't proven that they're responsible, at least not to the lender, that they're responsible to take on the loan themselves. So they're asking somebody else to step in and do it. So my recommendation would be, listen, if the bank's not willing to take the risk, I don't think you should either. But there's another side to this. The financial is obvious, but the relational is not. Realize that money will impact your relationship. When you're borrowing money or when you're lending money, that cannot be done without emotions, right? You're going to see your brother, you're going to see your sister-in-law spending money over the next two, three years. And if they're not paying that bill and you're having to step in and maybe it's affecting your credit score, there's going to be some significant emotional uh, things going on between you and it could wreck your, your relationship. And that's more precious and more important than any money. So I would say be kind as you respond, but be firm. Tell them you care too much about your relationship to put it in jeopardy. I think that's the most important thing, which will most likely be affected if you co-sign. So, Yeah, this seems like an easy ask. Mm -hmm. It seems like, hey, can I borrow some of your credit is in a way what your siblings or close family members asking, hey, will you co-sign for me? What they're saying is, will you use your name, your credit to help me with something. And so it sounds like, oh, that's so simple. Mm -hmm. I'll just, yeah, of course you can use my name. Of yeah. course you can, I have good credit. Sure, you can use my good credit. And it seems like you're using something immaterial to help somebody that you care about and that you love. So on the surface, it seems like an obvious choice. Yeah, of course, use my credit. But go one step below, like you said, Leo, more than 50% of the time, this person is not going to make the payments, mm -hmm. which means that you went from giving your credit to now giving your actual money. So when they asked you, hey, will you co-sign? They didn't mean to, but what they were actually asking is, will you dedicate hundreds of dollars a month to a vehicle that you won't be driving, to a vehicle that you won't have control over or access to? Um, it's a little bit of a different ask. And it's not just a financial ask, like Leo said. You go from the surface level where it's an immaterial credit ask. Oh, hey, can I just have you co-sign? And then it goes to that financial level, and then it goes to that relational level. And when you get to the relational level, that is a long-term commitment because mm -hmm. you could harm your relationship over this financial thing that initially started out immaterial. Oh, it's nothing. It's just my credit. It's just my name. And now you have problems with your family members or your extended family or your immediate family. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. So just be aware on the very surface at the tip, you're like, it seems immaterial. It's no big deal. Go one layer down. They're talking about real money that is very likely to come out of your pocket. And they'll go one step below that because of that miscommunication between step one and two. People are now in step three, angry, bitter, frustrated, not willing to be generous, mm -hmm. uh, not willing to have healthy conversations at the dinner table, you know, at Thanksgiving. Yeah. So it's a really big deal. And just be aware, it seems harmless on the front end, but that's why we always say don't co-sign. Yeah. 
The other thing to consider is the just the wisdom of it. In fact, there's a ancient proverb that literally addresses this. It says, don't agree to guarantee another person's debt or put up security for someone else. If you can't pay it, even your bed will be snatched from under you. <laughs> I love that one. And, and I mean, it's so, so straightforward. It's like, you don't know what the future will bring. You don't know if your brother will lose his job in the next six months. You don't know if your sister-in-law is going to get pregnant and they're going to go down to one income. Mm -hmm. There are so many things that you have no control over. And a loan, it's usually for a longer period of time. A car loan can be anywhere from five to seven years. So do you want to be responsible for the next five to seven years and take that risk both financially and relationally? I just don't think it's the best course of action. My recommendation would be sit down with them, help them understand why you're not willing to do it, that you care about them, care about your financial situation, their financial situation. And then maybe it's an open door for you to talk to them and say, well, is this your only option? You know, is there another way that you can build your credit so that the bank then sees you as a responsible person and are willing to lend it right. to you? And maybe it'll even be an opportunity for you to share getting money right. Yes, so they can that's learn a great idea. How to buy a good used vehicle or whatever they need. It'll give you that opportunity to share with them more than just the need they have for the moment, but maybe wisdom that will serve them for a longer period of time. That's right. So use it as an opportunity, but just be cautious. It, it's it's a warning for a reason and uh, you shouldn't violate it. I love that proverb, Leo. Mm -hmm. It's over 3000 years old. Yeah. I mean, this is an ancient proverb, like you said, and it says even your very bed may be snatched from under you. Um, a, think about, you know, there are furniture loans today where you can co-sign or you could buy something on credit and it could be repoed and you could have your bed taken out from under you. But again, go one step deeper. That's the surface. Mm -hmm. Go one step deeper. Think about the rest that you lose yeah. when you have a relational issue with somebody or when you're having to pay somebody else's bill because of a miscommunication on a financial transaction. Um, you will begin to lose peace in the evenings if you don't handle your finances well and don't set healthy boundaries like this in place. And so you may be up all night thinking about the financial problem or thinking about the frustration of a situation and the very bed has been snatched from under you. Maybe not physically, although that is possible, but uh, mentally and emotionally, you can lose rest and peace over this. So I just, I love that proverb for several different layers. Yeah. Do you realize that the person that wrote that proverb was one of the wealthiest and wisest yeah. people that ever lived? So Solomon is who wrote Proverbs 22, and that's where that proverb is listed. And what's interesting to me, here's a guy that could have probably co-signed everybody's <laughs> yeah, loan true. or just given them the money. And yet he's the one who's saying, don't do this. This is not wise. You're actually going to put yourself in a situation where your very bed may be snatched from under you. That's pretty strong yeah. from a guy who had the wisdom to understand and see all the sides of how this could actually play out in a negative way. So if you can't listen to Solomon... I'm not sure <laughs> that yeah. there's any hope any other way. You're going to run into some trouble. Yep, no doubt. All right, so let's look at question number three. We're on a really tight budget, and it seems like every month there's at least one unplanned wedding, birthday, special event, and so we're having to spend money that's unexpected, unplanned. Yeah. What's the best way to manage these kinds of unplanned expenses so that we don't wreck our budget? 
Yeah, that's a good one. It's a tough one because most of the time when you're invited to events like this or birthdays, they're relationships you have, obviously. If there was somebody you didn't know, you'd be like, no, I'm not going. I'm not buying you a gift. But, but it's usually <laughs> somebody, it's somebody you care about, right? So how do you do this when you're on a tight budget? I mean, that's that's the reality of going on in this family, that they're on a tight budget and they're looking at this and saying, gosh, I don't, I'm divided because I want to I want to be kind. I want to show up. I don't want to look like I'm a stingy, uncaring person. But at the same time, I can't wreck my budget. So how do I go through this? So when it comes to gift giving, it can be overdone. Let me say that. Most of us have a desire to give. We've talked about this in previous episodes that we were really created to add value to others. And that's mm-hmm. where we're most fulfilled. Well, gift giving is one of those things that we it. get to do it. It's just so much fun. So it goes against us not giving, right? It's not in our nature not to give. So when we're asked to give, not only do we give, but we go overboard many times, right? Because we're really trying to express our love and care for this person. So the best way to plan for these events is to determine ahead of time uh, who you will buy gifts for and Mm -hmm. then cap the gift to a reasonable amount. Because as we've said before, there's no unlimited resources, right? There's limited resources with unlimited opportunities to spend. So we need to figure out how to stay within our income within our budget. And if you don't plan this ahead of time and set an amount for what you're going to spend on each gift, then chances are you're going to go over. It's going to be something that's not manageable, something that's going to definitely hurt your budget in the long run. Yeah. And you make this plan in advance. That way it's not an emotional response. Mm -hmm. That way you're not in the moment panicking and saying, well, you know, we'll run to the store and we'll pick up this and this and this. And it, it becomes a conversation you've already had. It's pre-planned. You have the money set aside in your budget. And it's important to probably set aside an extra category or two that you're setting aside money for. It's the same category, but an extra person, make up a person that you set aside a little bit of money for birthday, Christmas, and uh, you know, a holiday or two, because there's going to be a few that you don't think of. There will be some unplanned, unexpected new friends that come into your life. Um, Grandma's only going to turn 90 one time. That's right. (laughs) That's right. You better show up and you better bring a gift. So, so it's important to a, have a really good solid plan in place. And we have a, a financial calculator to help you go through and track and plan all of your gift giving. Mm -hmm. And I do that. Uh, Ashley and I have done that where we go through and we look at birthdays, Christmas, holidays. So Mother's Day, Father's Day. Uh, Are we going to do something at Easter? Are we going to do something at Thanksgiving? And maybe it's not even like a gift. Maybe it's we are going to plan to spend $50 on food to help, you know, support Thanksgiving meal. Or we're going to spend $20 on Easter egg baskets. Or we're going to spend fill in the blank. You've got to look at how you are going to live your life. And the first time that we put all the money into that Excel sheet and we went through each person Mm -hmm. and each either birthday, holiday, or special occasion, and we came up with a huge number. (laughs) Yeah, And we were blown away. We're like, just 20 bucks a person Mm -hmm. uh, even came out to be in the thousands. Like, we're like, okay, this is a little crazy. So we left it at $20 a person, but then we pulled back the number of things that we were doing for each person and the different holidays. And we said, okay, this is what we're agreeing on. And we got it down. I think it was somewhere around a thousand or 1500. I have to look back at it right now. I think that it, I think it's gone up a little bit over the years. Right. Uh, But our initial one was under a thousand. 
but it's still a thousand dollars that if you don't plan for that, that means that at the end of the year, you're going to be a thousand dollars upside down and that's yeah, painful. Or potentially in credit card debt with yes. interest being added every day. Right. So yeah, it's one of those things that not only do you have to plan for it, as David said, and potentially using some kind of plan where you're just, again, it's a very basic process. You name the people that you're going to buy a gift for, set a cap for what you're going to do. You're going to come up with a yearly amount, divide that by 12. There's the amount. But I would say that there's also for those, the, the ones that they're mentioning in this particular question is that there's these unexpected ones. Right. So it almost seems like at least the way I read it is that they're not talking about the kids or the grandkids or, or brothers or sisters or mom and dad. They're talking about a friend gets married. Uh, you know, the boss is retiring and right. you got to go and you got to bring a gift. So those kind of things happen. We don't know when and how much they're going to be. So my recommendation is add another 100 to $200 to that budget and set it aside as that additional surprise event because it's easier to manage or spend $200 over the course of a year, right? If you're putting aside $200 for the year, it's about $17 a month. As you're doing that, $17 a month is not that big of a deal. It's not right. that, you know, you can manage it. You can deduct it from another area. But it's harder to come up with that $100 gift or $50 gift. So if you do it this way, you're accounting for the ones you know are coming. You're prepared for that. You make sure that your budget can manage that. But then for the ones that are our surprise, you just set this extra amount aside. We do that in several categories. The other one that we do it in is miscellaneous because it's one of those things that I, I don't know what things are going to happen that don't really fit any other category. But when they do, I want to have a little bit of money set aside. So that, you know, maybe it's, I think right now it's about $70 a month. Mm -hmm. So it usually grows. And then all of a sudden we have an expense that we didn't anticipate or expect and boom, it just goes back down again. So just know that this is something that will happen. Obviously this couple does know and the way, best way to plan for it is, first of all, make sure that you're accounting for everybody. And you'll have to do one more thing. You'll have to cap it. You'll have to say no. <laughs> and I'll, I'll use a quick example here. When the girls were younger and they were going through you know, preschool and eventually kindergarten and then elementary school and all of that, they had new friends every year. And they were best friends. Everybody's a best friend. So whenever there was a party, right, when ki one kid had a birthday, Everybody yeah, in the class would be invited. Yep. So we were getting, the kids were getting invitation to every birthday party and, you know, 30 kids in a classroom. And we're like, okay, you don't have 30 best friends. You pick two or three at the most. Okay. And we're going to cap the gift at $25, but that's all we're going to do. Mm -hmm. And so we as parents have to say, we're not going to let this drive us to where we're spending money. We had no plans on spending. And at the same time, it's not healthy. Uh, you know, every weekend you go into a party and it's just ridiculous. So we just have to say, look, pick two or three friends that you really do hang out with and then you'll go to their party. You'll, you know, we'll buy a gift for that kid. But, it, you know, so you have to rein it in. You have to say no to some things. And I'll tell you, one of the hardest ones that I've seen come across is weddings. Oh, yeah. Weddings are the toughest because sometimes the weddings are out of town or people have to be in the wedding. So not only do they have to go to the wedding and bring a gift, but they have to buy the, you know, rent a tux and there's an expense to being in a wedding Big as time. we all know. So you have to look at that and say, okay, what's reasonable. And there, this has happened to our girls several times where their friends got married and they were in their wedding. And I would say, you need to approach that person and say, look, I will be in your wedding. I'll buy the dress. I'll do whatever. And it's going to cost me two to $300, but I'm not buying a gift. I hope you, I hope you're okay with that because mm -hmm. I'm already out, you know, and it's okay to have that conversation. I think if you don't talk about it, then that person might be hurt. 
But if you talk about it and say, hey, this is this is not something I plan. I want to be here. It's already costing me this much. So I just want you to know this is my gift to you because I love you. I want to be part of this. And it's already expensive enough. So just know the pressure that's there, you need to resist that. You should only do what's good for you and financially healthy. You shouldn't do anything that will put you in a situation to protect your friend's feelings but hurt you financially. That just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, hearing you talk about this idea and margin, really, and making sure that you have margin in your finances, it makes me think that that would be a really good, I don't know, like a principle or something yep. that we should add into our four foundational. I think it's oh, already in wait there. a minute. <clears throat> we do. In our four steps to purposeful living, uh, increase margin yeah. is in there. It's number three. And so having this margin allows you to adjust for these kind of expenses, these unexpected, these things that pop up. Because sometimes um, there's no extra money in another area. Right. You need to have margin that's just already set aside. Some savings that's just there to cushion these kind of events. So I love that. Margin, it gives you the option to get through the expense. uh, And it gives you the resources so that when something comes up, you don't feel the emotional pain. You're ready to go, no, you know what? I'm I'm excited about this wedding. It's something that I'm choosing to do. I want to do this. And I'm going to use some of the margin to take care of this. Yeah, I like that because life is unpredictable and a budget is not a straitjacket. So margin allows you to be graceful when you need to be. It doesn't say, well, I just can't. There are seasons where finances are tight and you have to stick to your guns and you cannot overspend. But if you work your plan in such a way that you increase your margin over time, now you can be more free to do the things that matter, the things that you value the most. And I love that margin allows us to do that. So definitely embrace that principle. It's one of those things that if you have it in your life, once you have it, you'll never want to get rid of it, never want to lose it. So we hope that you'll do that. Well, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode. If you found it helpful, I hope that you will share it with someone, maybe a family member, maybe somebody that's asking you for financial advice. Just point them our way. Uh, Let them um, just experience some of the content that we've produced over the last two and a half years so that they can also be equipped and hopefully uh, gain some wisdom in their own finances and hopefully it'll bless them and their family. And if you're on social media, find us there, contact us, let us know how we can serve you better. Uh, We'd love to connect with you and know how we're doing. How is this podcast affecting you? Is it helping you? Uh, Is there something that you want to know more about? I hope that you'll do that, that you'll connect with us. We're both on pretty much every social media uh, platform. So find us, Leo Sabo, David Thompson, and we'd love to connect with you there. If you want to know more about the resources that are available to you, go to leosabo.com. That's where you can find out what I'm up to. And also you can go to stewardshippastors.com and find out what David's up to. David is doing more than just getting money right. He's doing so many more things. And this is one of those things that he's passionate about, teaching spiritual leaders how to manage money from a biblical perspective, but also teaching their own congregations how to do it. So you can find more information on there, great content, videos, things that you could download. And also he's writing a book, Jesus on Money. So go ahead and pre-order that book and uh, you'll get that when he finishes the book. Well, we look forward to having you join us next time so that together we we can can keep keep getting getting money right. Because sometimes um, there's no extra money in another area. Right. You need to have margin that's just already set aside, some savings that's just there to cushion these kind of events. So I love that. Mm -hmm.